Welcome to the Creative Play and Podcast Network. Join us as we share our favorite RPGs, one-shot games, tabletop games, reviews, and convention panels. Sit back and enjoy the show. Hi, this is Kelly, a.k.a. Trixie from Ragnarok and Roll, a sign to Ragnarok story, and Tilda Wimblewick from D&D Journey of the Fifth Edition. First off, I would just like to say thank you to everyone for listening to our varied adventures, as well as for rating us on iTunes and RPGpodcast.com. If you haven't rated us yet, we would greatly appreciate it if you could. And if you're looking for more ways to support our efforts, we are now on Patreon, a great site where you can help us continue making more podcasts, as well as some special surprises for our patrons. If you can, please look us up at www.patreon.com cppn. Every little bit helps. And again, thank you for listening. The only thing I ever have felt like it is once um, I had it a two-day old bowl that had just been born, or, and uh, um, it felt like that. It was like this plush toy softness that was just amazing. And I wouldn't have known that. I would have just made it generically kind of soft. Sadly, uh, my ex got me a blue fox fur tail coat once, and it was right around my neck. It is amazing, but it makes me vomit now. Right. <laughs> but I had a lot of thing around my yeah. neck at some point. Something died for that. It was, but um, no, it is the absolute. It's it's crazy. It's. I was surprised at how soft that fur was. And that was, I mean, there's a lot of places where we'll go to do our research. When I realized I needed to do that, I began looking at where are there Arctic foxes. And one of the places was SeaWorld, and I was going to San Diego for a con. So I actually emailed, you know, them, feeling a little bit strange, but said, you know, I have an Arctic fox in my book, can I come meet your foxes? And they were thrilled. And they were. They apparently said they do kind of filter to make sure because they do get some weird people. (laughs) 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 But it turned out I didn't know until I got there the Arctic foxes were are in our display. So I hadn't gotten in touch. Ah, you didn't ever know. And then randomly that day I got to pet a penguin and a dolphin too. (laughs) That was a good day. That was morning. So for me, the book very much informs research. I research a lot of stuff and you know we, we all carry the, the little magic ants box around for this now so immediate gratification I'm really into that you know I want to know about that um, but I my problem with research personally is that I tend to do these very very deep dives on relatively minor things <laughs> um, so I, I my most recent book is not here, uh, it's probably not suitable for this convention. It's totally historical fiction about an isolated incident during the Civil War, American Civil War. I know more about women's fashions in 1860 than any man has a right to know. <laughs> no, actually, I, I think more men should know. <laughs> Please, well, please start a blog. Do, do you know the origin of the bell-shaped hoop? <laughs> uh, I do not. I do. Yeah. I do distinctly remember that high heels were created for men and makeup were created for men and like all the other. Oh yeah, well that's that that's that's, that's all <laughs> different oh, kind of research. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, it, it takes me to very strange places sometimes. Um, <laughs> costume design. And, and the point is, though, sometimes it's can get into this research trap where you do these big deep dives because oh this is interesting and I'm going to use you know one part of a sentence in description yeah but in I think in certain genres you have to be absolutely accurate or you're going to get roasted also don't you want to be in a certain headspace like I'm doing a time piece so it's you know 30s and the 40s so don't you want to immerse yourself in that research sometimes, sometimes so it puts you, you in that headspace to really do dialogue and, and description, right. just all of that. Yeah. And that's that can be a difficult decision to make too. If mm-hmm. you get too deeply into that, especially with dialogue and, and phrasing, mm-hmm. you lose your modern reader. Okay. Oh. They do struggle sometimes, yeah. Okay. They're not they even teaching I think Shakespeare anymore. Like I understand that or, or no, not Shakespeare. 
That's sad. Chaucer. Oh. Chaucer in Old English or anything like that. That is sad. Uh, it, uh, it, it is. is. It, it, you lose something about the language. Without, right? without the language. But I think if you're writing for popular consumption, if I did phrasing the way that they would have done it in Liverpool in 1860, it's going to come so across as being very weird. Yeah. Out of the story. Yes, yeah, they get so. Now, I, I can tell you what the sign and the phrasing of the time was because I researched it. I spent all this time researching it and you yes, exactly. spent all this time learning about it. Yeah. <laughs> the difference is that if you read Dracula versus watch Dracula, you go back and it's a really dry read. So you could go back and reconstruct something from period and be precise and accurate, but no one cares. <laughs> research is irrelevant, and it's just, it's for you, it's your own edification. I'm going to say, I'm going to say one person cares, and it's that one person you're writing about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's still wrong, and you will find out who cares. But, but that's usually the great launching point with somebody, and then they go, did it change your life in some different way that I should have addressed? <laughs> Tell me where on the doll that... Well, their life's not over yet. You gotta yeah. give them time. <laughs> Thank you for caring and buying my book. Yeah. Right? There is that. The money. Is somebody read your book. It's a, and like you said, I've got the money, you know? I'll do better next time. I have to tell. I think it does inform the book in the same way that like every draft informs the final book, even though you don't see it on the page. I mean, I think all the research is there. It's just not there right on the surface in anyone's face. One of my favorite um, things was uh, something Dan Brown said, I think, in The Da Vinci Code, that the best fiction is based on fact. And that's in my head always. Because the amount of research he did for those particular sets of books is insanity. Because I, being that reader, went and researched his research. Oh. <laughs> do see, I extensive research with interviewing people who lived through it, one who did not, going through the scientific uh, cause and effect through their whole journey, interviewing the caregivers. I didn't live it. Then I went through it. I'm rewriting that book because there's a proximity to things that allow you, there's, there's an objective scientific approach to things that's kind of sterile that we go into. And in, in fantasy, it's a little different because you can put flourish on it, put your own spin on it. But as you say, if you get a scientific fact wrong, all the research in the world, scientific or not, does not engage the human spirit or the human experience with that. So you can say, well, leukemia has an 88.7% effect efficacy with this drug. You have a you know X percent chance of survival after five years. That's not a story. That's research. That's data. And having gone through it and the emotion that you can't get unless you go through, if you go through a scientific method, you get the data. If you go through a journalistic process, you are able to put together interview questions and create a rapport with your subjects. You get that emotion. And that's how, but that's the evolution of it. You get the data, you write, okay, is my story accurate? And then you write, is my story, does my story have the emotional core? Guys, I did it in reverse. <laughs> <laughs> I wrote, so when I wrote this first book, and I went to buy a new guys, I will admit that I, it was very heavily flavored by what Westerners know now about Anubis as opposed to doing my research. And when I originally created the series, uh, it was just going to be a throwaway series that I could write until I got to the more serious writing that I was going to do. Um, until I realized there is a huge gap in the erotica, like in erotica for 
well-written erotica. <laughs> and I'm not talking about, I'm not just talking about well-written. Like, so much of erotica comes from, like, a very toxic male gaze. Even when women are writing it, they fall into those same tropes. It's like, he's an 18, or, no, I'm sorry, how do I do this? She's an 18-year-old virgin who's just about to go into college, and he's her bad boy billionaire. Uh, werewolf motorcycle club uh, <laughs> professor who's gonna give her that D. Oh, anyway, <laughs> sorry, Badger. Um, so I went back, like, I went through three versions of Anubis before I was like, it's not right. And part of why it's not right is because I have no idea how the Egyptian underworld works. And then I did a deep dive into it, and that was also really fascinating because I don't think a lot of people. Um, in the West understand how the Egyptian underworld works. So now I get to teach people a bit about it mm -hmm. while also enjoying a way better adventure in my book. I'm a trans, but I'm from the East Coast. I, I am fascinated by the mythology of Tucson. Uh, yeah. I, I love, I want to go down, I'm leaving here to go down there as the first opportunity I get. It's my second chance here. But everybody I've read on the subject has a different perspective. So what is the correct research? I've heard well, well there, there's never been an accurate representation of what actually happened in the tombstone. Right. There were just two different accounts by people who were on two different sides. Right, exactly. Yeah. Well, and, and I'm currently reading Perspectives of the Wives, and okay. they have a completely different sure. spin on it. So it's like Rashomon, in the, the, the yeah. film, where you just have to go through and pick what research you want. That's how and, it is. and that can be the problem with. Um, say event or historical and personal research versus scientific research where even when you look into the history of scientific research which is a really weird subgenre sometimes you can see the consistency within the paradigm if you will that the scientists at the time are working under but it's still consistent and you start looking into the events of Gee, why did you do this? Why did the person A do this thing to person B? Now you've got Rashomon. You've got totally different perspectives from different points of view. And it gets very confusing. Stories of those gaps, too. Like when you have three different accounts, then you have really fertile ground to write a story about those events. You just have to know what all the accounts are. <coughs> And then you're choosing or responding or. You don't want to get into all the. <coughs> right. And. And you have to, I'll make a pitch here for open-ended or, that's not quite the right word, for historical research in the context of the time that it occurred. It's very difficult not to bring your modern perspective to events. And if you really want to understand them, you have to see them as if they're current events. So yeah, if I, you were in that time, this yeah. isn't history, this That's is very events. Immersing yourself in that yeah. time period yeah. is really important. A good example I have of this is Typhoid Mary. We all know like, oh, Typhoid Mary, that means the person who gets you sick. But no, there was a woman, an Irish and yeah. Typhoid Mary. Like, yeah. Recently, and it was insane to think about it. Like, oh, if someone came up to you and told you you're causing a lot of diseases and you need to stop cooking for people, essentially. <laughs> And, and that's your job. And that's your job. Making a right. Living. But yeah. like nowadays, if someone came to you and like, hey, you have this super infectious disease, and if you continue to do the X, you're going to kill people. I'd like to think <laughs> enough of us are in tune with science and medicine to be like, okay, yeah, probably I don't want to kill people. But at the time, she was an Irish immigrant who experienced Irish hatred in New York and everything like that, right? So like she, when these scientists called her, told her, hey, you're probably the cause of this, she was all like, get the fuck out of here. Like, and I remember learning later, she wasn't the only one. She was only the only one who got given a heart attack. Oh, interesting. That one I didn't know about. I, I, haven't, well, I haven't dug deeply into that yet, but yeah. There, there are two things that you haven't mentioned. One, if you were a cook, you got paid twice as, twice much, as much money as any other Irish immigrant. She wasn't sick. No, that's right. She had typhoid inside her, but she was not sick. It was so, asymptomatic. Yeah. She actually was uh, forced to leave her position, but she went off to another location and started cooking. They did the same yeah. thing. Yeah. yeah. And that's yeah. when they locked her. They locked her up, or like they put her in. Well, like, believe it or not, one version I heard is basically she finally got convinced that it was true, and she stayed in this place afterwards and made 
how do you set it up so that she could stay? Because you wouldn't have a way of locking her up. Well, they didn't have a way of her. Yeah, it's basically New York City. Yeah, you had a question for I'm sorry. Well, you were going back to Tombstone. Like, um, go back to that. The newspapers in the past weren't like totally accurate. Like, I think it was 1906. But like 1906, they had like an earthquake. I think it was in Arizona, and the newspapers back east were talking about the volcanoes erupting and, and all of it. So it's not just the accounts, like the personal accounts, you have to take it, but you have to think about like. But the interesting thing is there's collections of postcards because those were like the news of the day. So you'd ask, here's these dead people in the street, and you would send it to your relatives back east so they'd know what was going on. So if you're doing research, don't overlook historical postcards. Oh, that's a good advice. So Michael Crichton in the, book, in the book State of Fear had page after page after page of bibliography and references because he knew he was going to be attacked. Mm. And it was amazing how much research he did so that the position that he had had some legitimacy to it. Larry Niven used to publish scientific papers at the end of, the, at the end of his books to uh, for, for the science that was being used for that network story. story. Yeah. Well, Larry Niven was an astrophysicist, so he could do that. Yeah. <laughs> and he was a big man, so he could get away with it. Yeah. <laughs> I got a minor in anthropology. I'm pretty sure I might yeah. do that in my books. <laughs> the other thing about papers is that they were not only that accurate, they were more partisan back then. Like Arizona Republic it was associated with the Republican Party. And if anybody thinks that there's a lack of objectivity in the news today, I would encourage you to go back to 1858, 1860 and read contemporary news accounts of that election. It makes anything going on today look like kindergarten stuff. Gustav Lebon actually brought that up in the crowd, and um, he actually thought that it was sad that newspapers were no longer telling you what to think. <laughs> <laughs> Mark Twain did a, a wonderful piece on uh, called "The Time I Ran for Public Office" or something to that effect, and it was just picking right up on on that sort of thing with the massive yellow journalism. Or, you know, he was being called a murderer and, and all this, this sort of thing. Well, we have to keep in mind also that investigative journalism wasn't really invented until Ida Turnbull went after the oil trusts. Yeah. That's a big thing. Well, which was like in the, in the. You just go on to Twitter or Facebook. It's the 1990s. Yeah. You know, we still do that, but we don't. We don't. Have other <laughs> yeah. Journalism that I studied in the 90s is not the same class. The classes I was asked to teach when I got my degree were public relations. Basically, back in the 90s, they were in the transition period of saying, a journalist is going to get so overworked and underpaid, they're going to become quacks for somebody within 10 years. Fast forward 10 years, everybody I graduated, guess where they are. Mm -hmm. And now I'm teaching, allegedly, the principles of, of objective journalism and research. <laughs> and the, the, the syllabus I'm handed as an adjunct says, teach them how to communicate and how to give a press conference. Teach them how to be presentable on camera. Yeah, that's, and tell the story. What is the story? Where is the info? I'm looking down three pages, and it, it doesn't mention fact or truth once. <laughs> your mulatto taking the press release and accepting it. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. someone wrote it. There are no editors. And I know that when I was more politically active, you know, I would, and of course, I had my own biases, but I would see, you know, stories where it was just the obvious from either side. Where it was the obvious, just you needed to make a few phone calls. We needed to verify what you were told. I just have a question. Sorry, but he's waiting for that. What do you guys do when you get stymied in your research? Like, what do you do if you hit a research roadblock and it's not like. There's no such thing. Well, for me, with what I do, I'm looking at stuff written a long time ago that's been translated into English because it was right. written in like Greek and Roman and other languages and stuff like that. 
And it's really hard to find sometimes even... I'm being facetious because... Sure. <laughs> um, yes, there are research roadblocks exactly like you encounter, mm. depending, you know, depending on what your source material is. I am huge into not accepting a summary. Go to original sources okay. if they are ever available. Okay. You want to know about a historical figure, get a hold of their private correspondence sometime. And the internet is wonderful for this. Find sources. Um, no, literally, um, I, I'm going to get off the subject here, but I, I, I wanted to find out about Thomas Dudley, who was a main player in the events I'm talking about. And I can't, that's my dead end, because all of his personal papers are locked up in the Huntington Library, and I can't access them. On the other hand, one of the other protagonists, Benjamin Moran, who was the Secretary of the Legation in, in London, all of his memoirs are online for the, from the Massachusetts Historical Society. The guy was a obsessive journal keeper. And so there's hundreds of thousands of words that he wrote available. And then you run into the other research issue. I want to know specific things. How do I plow through? Right. All of this unregulated, unsearchable yeah. material. <laughs> I would say that uh, in, in all the time that I've been writing since I was in my teens, the advice that I got that is most effective is recognize how ignorant you are. Focus on the areas that you want to write, on that's going to change, but then start to surround yourself with people who know what the hell they're talking about. And I've learned to cultivate relationships. That goes back to journalism where you get the story by knowing people and getting them to trust you enough that they're going to share the truth with you. Um, it, it, I want to write about science. I have a couple of people, I have, I have surgeon friends and people that I went through treatment with that I call and say, hey, is this accurate? And then I have, I was pulled over by my local police and I turned that into an opportunity to say, hey, by the way, I have a story about the sovereign citizen. Do you deal with them at all and how do you process them? I say, hey, can I take you to Applebee's and get you a couple of beers after your shift and talk about this? And they're like, yeah, sure. <laughs> and then it's, it's, it's painless. But did they give you a ticket or a warning after that? I got the ticket. <laughs> she was not impressed by my charm <laughs> She was interested enough to answer questions. And when you talk to firefighters, oh my god, they're happy to tell their stories like they're at a tavern in a fantasy RPG. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, we went in with our axes ready. You visit any firehouse at this desk. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I brought muffins, and they just. <laughs> <laughs> I used to bring my five-year-old, but I'm just saying my back. But the core of that is again recognize your ignorance and realize what you want to write, and those people will be happy. Oh, you put me in the book. Cool. Well, and that's that's more of that going to original source. Right, exactly. Yeah. I mean, yeah. We're, we were talking historical, but if you talk contemporary, yeah, find the guy who's been there, done that. Absolutely. I wind up, um, or at least my interest is, in reaching out to, like, professors and subject matter experts, mm -hmm. kind of in line. Yeah. And, and um, we love to talk. We'll <laughs> 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 bore you to tears, as a matter of fact. Oh, never in this university. I'll never go back, but I miss it. <laughs> One thing that uh, you can get really, really cynical about is you've got two newspapers with exactly opposite points of view. It's like each of them have their own set of experts that are opposite from the other set of experts. So here they've got all these quotes from people who should know. And well, it, it, in my world, <laughs> if there are to do 20 different ways to do things, it means that nobody really knows what's going on. <laughs> 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 on the fighting course, as long as you get those people who are willing to answer questions, ask them to read the book when you're done. Yeah. yeah. You know, did, 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 did I do it right? Did yeah. I get this <laughs> right? I mean, for my Arctic Fox book, it was set in Iceland, and I visited uh, twice, but I did not know. You know, I mean, I knew how much I didn't know. <laughs> so I actually had a couple of, I had one native Icelander and then one person who was in Iceland from an American perspective, like my protagonist was. Her husband was in the diplomatic service and I had her and her kids, you know, all read it and it did. On movie sets, we have consultants all over the place. We did um, Haunting Hill House and that was my favorite because I got to work with a mortician 
and do um, yeah. get all kinds of photos and recreate bodies and autopsies and, and all kinds of stuff. And, and they, they come on set and stay um, for a lot of different things, but the medical field especially. Um, I they listen. <laughs> yeah, well, they have them on set now, so they literally are like a new. <laughs> that is not our, we don't run around saying stat. <laughs> I mean, seriously, it's, it's like those little things. Oh, and so, yeah, thank you. As a matter of fact, you, you come to a trauma code and it's very low key. Yes. And yes. to the point where I will often stand up and say, anybody who is not touching the patient, shut up and get out of the room. Yeah. Well, and it's funny because I talk to a lot of ER nurses and most of the time they have that like back in their head instinct of really who's coding, who's not, yeah. and all of that. They have a weird, like you bring somebody through the gurney and there'll be three people going, yeah, you got this. <laughs> because it's, it, they know, it's like something, something they know. So that's like invaluable in, in research and understanding right. what literally people are doing like in but real that's, time. That's true in any profession. Right. I talk right. about firefighters, I, I have a friend who is a battalion chief and I've talked to him about you know how he approaches a fire okay. and he's talked to me about I pulled the guys out I didn't know why right and two seconds later the roof falls down yep. and yep. it's just this fire wasn't behaving mm -hmm. using exactly that word yeah. like it should <laughs> right and so that's where you get if you can pick up on that in your research and then use that in Writing. Right. I think that's what's invaluable. Mm -hmm. I did like uh, somebody who works in a forensic, uh, well, government unit, and we were commenting that CSI buys the cheapest of everything, and that's what you see, and that there is no way in civil cases that they can get the results they claim because that equipment won't do that. <laughs> I mean, all, all police procedurals, I can't watch them anymore because it's always like, we'll find out the answer in 26 minutes. <laughs> and in reality, like things like lie detector tests, inadmissible in court. Why do we keep seeing dramas where they're like, and they don't work. And they don't work. You don't trust them. You want, you, want to, you want to fool a lie detector test? You drink a cup and a half of coffee straight up right before you go in. Your heart will be a rhythmic and it'll just. It's totally. <laughs> yep, you're welcome. If coffee does not cover me up, then I'll sure. start. Otherwise, it's um, orange juice. Or just twitch your big toe. The sugar rush is something right. like there's a there's a million ways to beat it is the point you can go online and find all of these methods and a lot of them are actually like verified if you go well, and, and oftentimes if you can if you're particularly imaginative and can compel yourself to believe your own story exactly that's true yeah. right as a I writer, really you are this a is how it happened you are a people telling them a story because it's been in our heads so much yeah. when we talk about it it's like oh that's the truth. Yeah. So, uh, there, there's this thing, number one, psychologically, where you tell a lie long enough that it becomes true yeah. for you. Yeah. That, that happens to, like, people rewrite their own histories, yeah. too, as, like, when, from when you're children. Mm -hmm. You've ever had, if you have siblings or parents, and you're like, I remember this one time, X, Y, and Z happened, and they're like, that's yeah. not what happened. <laughs> 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 My mother was famous for that. That didn't go down that way. Well, I mean, sometimes it's a gaslighting or it's a like... <laughs> um, I mean, if you're the villain of someone else's story, is that at all? <laughs> well, you're never the villain of your own story. No. <laughs> yeah. I read an analogy by a neurologist one time who said, your memory is not the event. Your memory is the last time you remembered the event. Yeah. And yeah. He, likened it, he likened it to a door that had coated after after coats of paint applied to it. And after a time, you can see the outlines of whatever panels are in the door, but it ain't the door. It's not the door that it was. For those who are interested in, in memory and memory retention, there's a lecture series on YouTube by Dr. Robert Sapolsky. It's 27 hours long. Committed Biological Basis of Human Behavior. And he has like three or four 90-minute lectures just on the encoding of memory. 
So, like, as the older gods sort of fade out of popularity, 
the realms start to crumble, the world start to crumble, but it's it's still, it's actually being consumed. No one's manifesting that anymore. Right. It's still being consumed by the other beliefs, right? Like in, 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 in the 12 hours of the underworld, there's a plane where everything's on fire, and that has been co-opted now by hell. Because <laughs> <laughs> hey, we're gonna take over your territory. Yeah, there's a part where she's like going through the fire part on this boat, and there's a shield, and she looks up, and there's a woman falling, and then a demon comes out of nowhere and throws her on a spear, and she's like, "What the heck?" He's like, "Oh yeah, that's that's Christian." You know, like so, you know, and some people might not like that. Like I'm sure there are still people who worship Anubis. There's uh, a resurgence of neo-paganism and stuff like that and reconstruction reconstructed faith so i'm sure that somewhere out there there's like an anubis follower who's like this <laughs> this <Yeah>. bitch have <laughs> <laughs> we all been that person at some point oh I mean, gosh i yes. remember being in a watching i think it was march of the penguins and like and here are some penguins at the south pole and my husband i think i have to pull me down i'm like no there's no penguins at the south pole <laughs> Researching people, right? And I would again make a plea that you have to research people, particularly people who aren't your contemporaries, in the context of their time, their yeah, their ethnicity, their their social status, yeah. because it we can all look back makes on it tremendous. Yeah, we all. I don't know how you guys feel about we go. I look back at it as like just an epic tragedy. On, on both sides, right? Like when that police could have exercised better control and more patience, but also I, 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 I don't form opinions because I haven't done no, a deep fair. dive on that but one. But it, yes, at I, the time, yeah. we were dealing with people who were afraid of these homegrown terrorists, like cells. And well, they ship these idiots from DC out to make decisions, and they wouldn't consult any local, local yeah. individual. There's an absolute breakdown of communication. Yeah, it's a nutty belief, but they really believe it. Right. You're saying that they're just playing games. No, they're not. But they, no, they wouldn't listen. I, I think that's something that we, when we talk about researching contemporaries and talking to someone, you kind of got to understand that if they have a belief system, they really believe it. Mm -hmm. You may think it's bullshit, mm -hmm. but if you're going to get what you want, you have to kind of go along and I think that's something that people tend to forget when we're talking about these different beliefs these days is that yeah people really buy into this and and there may be very valid reasons for them to buy into it not just that they're stupid or crazy or whatever you know yeah, some event maybe has caused them to go down this road and, and that's what you want to try to identify and then realize like their world to them, one of the big things I knew history ago when I was like, you know, 19 from being bored to interested to is realizing everyone's life is real to them. It's not like they're, yeah. you know, here's this quaint historical time, you know, but if you're there, it's real. My favorite, like, big word thing, do you know what it is? So, like, when you look at somebody and you're like, oh, yes, they have their own complex life with their own problems, it's called sondering. Son <laughs> yeah, yes, wait. sonder. Yeah, sonder. it's a sonder, yeah. yeah, which is one of my favorite words. Anyways. A lot of times you're so you end up getting 
Sorry. Uh, why Two guys are talking. Sorry. Sorry. Start here and then we'll go over here. Sorry. A lot of times your research ends up getting shaded by the person under restriction. I spoke to Janet Reno after Waco and I asked her about it and she said, sometimes you just have to do what you have to do. That's a horrible answer. <laughs> political. It was it's totally that's, political. Yeah. yeah. That's and part they of just mine. come in. Clark was just barely in. And what was it they run? She was the third person to return to appoint attorney general in like a four month period. Yeah. Uh, Where you get in trouble is if you take that as the press release and then write that your story. If you stop there. Right. Then you're going to miss something. Well, half, of the reason why I do, half of the reason I do research is because we do have the benefit of being able to look back and see what points could have been improved upon, right? Like, again, toxic problem solver. I look at the thing, the situation, all of the steps that lead up to Waco, and I'm like, if people had communicated more, if people had been more patient, mm -hmm. if people had practiced more kindness and understanding, we would not have been anywhere near the situation that we got. If they weren't so crazy. If they weren't so crazy. If they had proper de-escalation. Yeah, I mean, like if they had even, and it's it's what they're talking about with the police force now, of making sure that psychologists are on duty because we had an incident in Atlanta where there's a homeless man, we called him the screaming man. So the screaming man's out there and he decided to land on our corner for quite a while, screaming till 2.30 in the morning. I said, okay, I've had enough, it was during COVID. Had enough. I, I appreciate his situation, uh, but he was chain smoking cools. Um, he had a Mountain Dew. He's sitting on the sidewalk and he's literally yelling at everyone and just one cigarette after the next, like right above, or right below a freshman window. So cut to it. The police arrive. They have the mask on. We go out. I'm in pajamas. I don't care. I'm like, I just, how are we going to help this man? Because he was attacking the school sign. He was going around to the door. He didn't break anything, he didn't do anything, and he goes, here's the thing. Can we take you someplace to help? No, I'm good. Can we do this? And he goes, that's what I need. I need permission from him to give him help. And then otherwise, that's it. He went on his way, and that was the end. But if the psychologist had been there, and they're like, oh no, we need to evaluate him or whatever. It's like, these are the things that need to come into place in that Waco was the perfect situation that they obviously did not have anybody trying to break down what was going through everybody's head inside yeah, that complex. Want, they wanted to bury it because they were going to use it in order to help it. And so. I get that. And like definitely it should be handled internally by the people who were there. It needed to be handled by like externally people who are like, we don't have a reason to be embarrassed. We just need to know what happened right. so we can do better next time. Right. Well, right. what the, the big problem was, there what the FBI tried to do and uh, alcohol, alcohol, what had worked for 20 years didn't work and they That's sort right. of refused to say the message that it ain't a gonna work. Well, yeah, I mean, but they were they were getting warnings left and right. They like from the sheriff, from uh, somebody that they sent an undercover <coughs> that like. I think we're getting yeah. sidetracked. Side we're getting into <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, we're researching Waco right now. Yes, that rabbit hole. Let's all jump in. Point being, with what? the benefit of research, you yeah. can yeah. you can you can kind of and and that's what's exciting about a writer. If you wanted to make a Waco esque situation and like do one where the resolution was better and happier and like people came out of it alive, do your research on Waco so um, that you understand where the mistakes were made. And, and understand that that better situation reflects your own bias. Yeah, absolutely, 100%. But I'm as a writer, you're doing that intentionally. I am. That's, and that's what I think readers sometimes don't understand. Oh, you're biased. Yeah, I am. It's my book, I get to be biased. <laughs> Interesting where you can get into it. What do you do about the stuff you don't know you need to research? Ooh, Which is its own. The, the unknown unknowns. Yes, <laughs> I'm thinking of a scene in a book where Rich Hill Hawk squeak, um, gives out that screech and dies that it's prey. And it you know, took only a year or two left to go, what a bad hunter that hawk is. <laughs> and he hawk, once I began researching you know, wildlife for another project, it was a toss off detail. But it's See, like, that's that's one of my great fears, which is why I get <laughs> so obsessed I mean, with the research to the point where sometimes it obscures 
what I intended in the first place. <laughs> what the story is. And you don't know if you don't know. I mean, well, yeah. again, this is, you can react to that by, well, okay, it's, it, it, it's not that important to the story. Right. There may be some reader who calls you out on it, but who cares? Um, I tend to get very obsessive about the stuff I don't know and try to find out. Well, you have to know enough to know to find out. But there's, I know there's always going to be gaps. It's like, yeah. I don't even know the right question to ask. Exactly. Here. That's where you really get into it. Yeah. I say I let my fans figure it out for me, and then I just go, thank you. I'll make sure to note that in the future. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you just sort of admit yeah, it and move on. Yeah. So I've had a bunch of cops tell me that my current series, Magic Blah, Lord of the Rings meets the one just isn't realistic for what cops really do. Is says, no, but they're fantasy cops, so they get to do it a different way. <laughs> Other stuff, yeah. Your writers are great. It, it, again, getting back to the network of people that you consult, give them an opportunity to read your manuscript, and they'll tell you, here are your gaps. Yeah. I had a reader, yeah. a, a novel that I wrote, I was not clear on. I let I had an instinct to let one person read it, and she came back and said, do you realize your protagonist is gay? Hmm. No! I said, yeah, she exhibits this, I'm feeling this, and I think you need to, because there are a lot of things that a reader like me will see this and be offended because it seems like a good I'm sorry? Because you didn't address it. Exactly. I didn't even know. I, I'm like, I, I didn't <laughs> see her as gay, but yet now I see it from your perspective. Oh. Now i got to go research this. And go talk to some people. Holy <laughs> shit, yeah. And she is, know. and it turned the book into a completely different entity. So. It can take you on these wonderful paths that you didn't expect as a writer, but they tell you. I also love learning about that stuff after the fact. Like, for example, uh, Alien, Ellen Ripley, we all know, like, originally that role was written for a man and then Scorning Weaver did it. But did you know in the original script that the man and Lambert, the only other female on the crew, were supposed to be in a relationship in the original script? And the filmmakers actually wanted to keep that going and then, of course, the studio sort of shut it down. So it's very queer-coded. But if you watch that part where Lambert breaks down and, like, yells at Ripley for leaving them outside, watch it again with the context that they're in a relationship, and you're like, oh, her lover just left her out there to die. Yeah. It's not like a historical woman moment anymore. It's like, I'm pissy. <laughs> you're supposed to save me. <laughs> Um, but anyway, sorry, that's a segue. We've got about um, 10 more minutes until the top of the hour, but I think we should probably call it four minutes in to give any new panelists a chance to settle in. Welcome question. Like, ask if, in summary, like, what is the most important thing to you individually when you start to research a book? Like, is it setting? Are you looking at characters? Like, what is, what is it that is the key thing you want to share? I'm, I'm an educator. I want to educate people. And I think we're all mature enough to realize that the history that we get, the stories that we get, are very watered down from a particular point of view. And I want to get away from that, as far away from it as possible. Because also, those stories have been told already. Like, that point of view has already been told. So I want to, I want to use this as a way of educating people, not just about mythology, but about sex itself, right? Like, in this book, or no, in this book, creating centaurs. I mean, like, not to get too graphic with it, but she she needs a little help before she gets in it with the centaurs. And there's this actual thing called dilation that women have to go through, some women go through, and even transgendered women go through, where they have to con continuously dilate. And I did research into that because I was like, what would centaurs have available? Rocks and stones and, and wood and stuff. And then that led me on a whole deep dive. Did you guys know that they used to use cast iron dildos in the in the American Wild West? They cast iron! Yeah. It led me to questions like, did they season it first? Like, <laughs> I, I have questions, right? I learned that. You, you want to get really kinky? There's a whole treatise from Rome about whether wood or brass is better for that. I love that. <laughs> uh, apparently, right before the Dark Ages. Because the wood gets seasoned. They have, they have what they have. They use what they, they use. Yeah. But yeah. I wanted, I put a, I put a disclaimer. I put a disclaimer in here, and I went, under no circumstances should you ever put 
any of these things into your leg, like anywhere, <laughs> no matter what bit you're putting it into. Don't do it. Like you can get cervical ulcers. You Ew. Can, yeah, so um, I try to educate people. I try to make it realistic while also. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> Nobody expected to get that conversation today. <laughs> I think my thing is it has to be something I'm genuinely already interested in, or I have to become interested in it in order to do the research well and write about it well. Right, and I can't say that there's any one thing. It'll range from what sound does that weapon why did that individual historical or whatever think the way they did? What, what's the, you know, were they religious? Were they, you know, influenced by earlier events? It, it tends to get almost obsessive sometimes to, as I said, be in the context of the event as it occurred. Well, operated wires. <laughs> so I would go through a manuscript, tell your story first. And then yeah. decide for yourself, what am I lying about competently? What am I lying about credibly, but I need to go back to? Yeah. And who's, what's they gonna call my plea on bullshit? Yeah. And those are the areas, then you go back and you figure out which, which how you can start. Yeah. It's true, if you were just telling the historical story, you wouldn't need to be there. Right. Right. Because that's already been done. Or, or you're writing a thriller, yeah, you know, all kinds of thrilling stuff. Now we better figure out how that weapon actually works. Yep. And, you know, how many shots does it hold? Somebody who lives on the moon and has lived in tunnels all, all their life, I'd give my last can of air. Um, yeah. Okay, so you try to make your dialogue fit the make your setting. Fit their lives. Um, on the other hand, if you go back and read letters and, and writings, journal writings particularly from 1860, that language sounds very strange to the modern ear. It sounds, you know, like, like what you read in a, in a Dickens novel. Thing is, nobody talks like nobody that. talks like that anymore. But they really did talk like that in those days, and we wouldn't and, actually and understand what they were saying. Exactly. Yeah, that's actually there was this the whole thing about like how far back could you travel in time before no one could understand you. Yeah. Yeah. It's not oh. as far as people think. <laughs> yeah. And uh, where is that? What's well, the other thing that people forget about time travel is that makes me laugh is that it is location dependent and the planet moves. Yeah. So technically, all of those people who went back in time and didn't do it in a spaceship, they're dead. Yeah. Like, because they just showed up in the blackness of space and explosive. Yeah. So I've read one good time travel novel where they actually dealt with that. Yeah? With hand wavium. Just like the Heisenberg compensator in Star Trek, you know. Oh, okay, yeah. It's the location compensation, you know, something algorithm. Because how does it work? Oh, very well, thank you. <laughs> 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 we have the cheat of the time travel method yes. is also a translator. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right, do you guys have anything right. you want to plug before we give it over to the next panels? Thank you all for being so hospitable. All right. Thank you, everybody. Bye, guys. Bye. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Creative Play and Podcast Network. If you enjoyed our show, please check out D&D Journey of the 5th Edition and Ragnarok and roll a Scion Hero to Ragnarok Story. Also, check out our Patreon page for more content and behind-the-scenes things, as well as joining us for a one-shot game or two.